through the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, his voice was We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we, with him, we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, a prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. As we observe the feast of our Lord's Transfiguration, we stand between the glories of the Christmas and the Epiphany season and the wonders of the Lenten and Easter season. These seasons being wonderful truths indeed, a babe in the manger with God manifest in the flesh. The God-man is the Savior of all mankind, Jews and Gentiles alike. As Savior, he gives his life for the world. Then he comes forth from the grave triumphant over all mankind's enemies, sin, death, and the devil. As true man, our brother, he ascends up into glory and occupies the everlasting throne of power, ruling over all things, visible and invisible. This Son of Man shall come again to judge and to save. Wonderful as these stories are, we accept them, put our confidence in them, rest all our hopes on them. Why this trust? Do they not, do they not be mere parable, mere fables, romantic and ingenious inventions of the human mind to bolster human courage, to satisfy human longings? Or are they facts, revelations, from the mind and heart of God to meet human need? This is the question with which the epistle deals. We consider the very foundations of our faith. All mankind, all mankind in all ages have thought and spoken about God and man's relation to God. The earliest monuments and all lands are at least in part religious. The ancient inscriptions of the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, unearthed by excavators, tell what men thought about God, his relation to man, and man's relation to him. These declarations contain some elements of truth. They show that even without divine revelation, man knows some things about God by nature as the existence of a supreme being to whom man is responsible and upon whom he is utterly dependent. However, all so much fiction and speculation and romance is mixed with untruth. 
Some of the gods are merely glorified men with all the failings and vices of men. After all, the natural religion of mankind rests on the flimsy ground of the fallible human mind. And the religious faith of many people today, unfortunately, rests on no better foundation. Much of what passes for even modern Christianity is built largely on human speculation. There is no definite authority to determine what is truth or error, right or wrong. Human reason is the criterion. People speculate about Jesus of Nazareth, his person and his work. Was he the God and the Savior from sin? Human reason cannot understand how God should become true man in order to undo the wrong man had done. Man's pride rebels against the thought that he is so helpless as to need help from outside himself. Therefore, Christ's deity is often denied, and he is made a mere man and the Son of God only in the same sense in which we can all become sons of God. People also speculate about the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. However, in that relationship, the Savior and his work simply have no place. And the thought that men and women can become God's children only through Christ Jesus, well, it's often frowned upon. When in these human speculations, the ugly fact of sin demands consideration, sin is often simply denied. When God's plan of salvation humbles man's pride, God's revealed truth is rejected. The Christian faith, however, the Christian faith, however, rests not on speculation of fallible men, but on the testimony of trustworthy eyewitnesses and ear witnesses. In science and philosophy, speculation may have value, but it is absolutely no, has absolutely no place in true religion. For here we deal with the most vital facts of human life. It is folly. It is folly to build one's life for time and eternity on what the mind of fallible and often mistaken men ask and try religious deals with the immortal soul, with matters that determine our eternal weal and woe unalterably. Therefore, as believers, as people of faith, we want facts. Facts of history, facts of experience in human life. To be of any value, the Christian faith must have a historical basis, must be based on testimony. Our Lord recognized this and said that men must be won over to Christianity by the testimony of his followers. You shall be my witnesses, he told the apostles. In the Christian faith, we have facts and the testimony of eyewitnesses. St. Peter says in the text, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
the apostle goes right to the heart of the matter. The heart of Christianity, the center around which the Old and New Testaments revolve, is the living, historic person, Jesus Christ. Christianity is historic. It begins and ends with the historic Jesus. We are not dealing with the legends or myths, but with a person whom history knows. When St. Peter or St. John spoke or wrote, their ears had heard. So St. John writes, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. St. Peter declares in the text, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He is speaking especially of the transfiguration. And he continues, we, he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We are, sir, ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter, together with James and John, had been with our Lord on the high mountain when he was transfigured before them. Jesus' face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. The three apostles witnessed his majesty with their own eyes. Then they heard the voice of the everlasting Father from the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son. Yet this was not all they saw and heard. They saw also Jesus' many miracles. They saw him in his resurrection glory. They saw him ascend into heaven. They heard the angel say after the ascension, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. These historic facts, facts which the apostles had witnessed and to which they testified are the basis of our faith. They wrote the truth, even, it was, and even when it was to their disadvantage. Regarding Peter, we are told things far from admirable. But all was told, and not only the pleasant, because the truth was told. Our faith rests there furthermore on the prophetic word made more sure when Peter wrote of that prophetic word. Only a little of the New Testament had been written. And even this little was not in general in circulation. So he had the Old Testament scriptures in mind. The Old Testament scriptures in mind. Why was this word of prophecy sure? Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This word of Old Testament prophecy Peter declares in our text has been made more sure. How? By what the apostles had seen and heard. Before their very eyes and their very ears they saw 
and heard fulfilled every word of prophecy. As they had walked with the Lord, prophecy, we might say, had become history. This word of prophecy made, made sure by its fulfillment in Christ, this is the foundation of the Christian faith. Does your faith rest securely on this foundation? You will do well to pay attention to this as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The foundation on which we may build our faith is there. Nevertheless, the best foundation means nothing in a practical way if we build alongside of it in the sand. Therefore, the apostle bids us to build our faith on God's word. The word of God, the writings of the Old Testament prophets, and the written testimony of the apostles is the light that shines in a dark place. The darkness to be dispelled is spiritual ignorance. The light to be brought is spiritual knowledge. The apostle says that if we pay attention to the word, this light in a dark place will grow and grow until it becomes day in our hearts. If we build our faith on the solid foundation of God's word, if we pay attention to this word, believe it, follow it, act upon it, we shall experience the truth of the word in our own hearts. We shall know the truth of God, and we shall believe them not only because the prophets wrote them, not only because the apostles testified to them, but also because we know of our own experience. It has become day, glorious, happy daytime in our hearts. Jesus Christ, the Son of Righteousness, has risen in our hearts and cast out the gloom of doubt, of questionings, of sadness. This is the tempting prospect St. Peter holds out. Holds out to all who pay attention to the word. Nothing is more desirable than that the promise of the text tempt us to put it to a practical test. That status being connected with the Christian church is the sight of so many who refuse to build their lives solidly on the foundation of God's word and to pay attention to the word of prophecy made more sure. They come to hear the word, they are members of a Christian congregation, but the day never dawns in their hearts. They never taste the full, in full the joys and the comforts and sweet experiences God holds out to them in Christ Jesus. Their religion never means much to them in a practical way as they go through life. Why is this? Since they do not pay attention to the word, do not put it to the practical test, do not act upon it, they will not be persuaded to build their life on the foundation of the word. They always hold back, make reservations, refuse to act upon the testimony of the prophets and the apostles, to reduce it to practice in their own lives. As a result, they never had the glorious experience God has prepared for all. All who permit the word to have free course, 
all their lives leading a crippled and inadequate existence. What do you think would happen to you if you resolve by the power of God's Spirit to permit the light of God's Word to illuminate your heart and life? If you stop refusing to act upon the Word and if you wholeheartedly obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit, the very same thing the text describes. The same thing thousands of Christians have experienced. Happy, bright, joyful daylight would come to you. So that you need fear no more. What would happen if you stopped holding out and told yourself, I shall pay attention to and act on God's word. I shall permit the light of prophecy to shine into my heart and act the part of the Christian, redeemed by the blood of God. I shall learn just as much as I can about God, his attitudes towards me, my relation to him, his dealings with man. I shall study his word at home, hear every sermon I can, attend every Bible class. Whatever I learn in this way, I shall apply to my life in the time of need, in trouble. I shall build my hopes on God's promises in thought, word, and deed, and follow my Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Think about it. Permit the light of the word to dispel the darkness in your lives. Cease from folly and walk in the light of God's day. At the same moment, Christ, who is present in heaven, is also present here on earth in the Holy Sacrament. <coughs> Shortly we will join our voices with the heavenly choir and sing our praises to the Lamb that was slain. With angels and archangels and with all the company of heavenly law to magnify his glorious name, praising him and saying, Holy, Holy, Holy. As we sing, we receive with the mouth of our body the seal and the unfailing assurance that the peace of heaven and the glory of the saints is ours, even now and here. At no time are we closer to heaven than in the moment of communion with our Lord and King, in the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper. Amen. Amen.